All right, well, good morning, church. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. As you can tell, I am not Landon. Landon is, <laughs> Landon is not here. He's on vacation with his family. And as I have prayed for Landon and his family this week, I just pray that they would find some rest, some rejuvenation, and I hope that you and me as a church body, we always pray for Landon and his family as, as he leads us. Uh, it's a tough job, and I'm grateful for Landon and the time he got to uh, step away this week. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about one of the parables, the parable of the soils. And you can see that's a picture I took in Kenya. I, I, I really like it. Uh, it's a plowed field ready for something to be planted. Uh, and so in your, in your Bible, uh, you're going to see a heading of the parable of the sower. Now, I titled this message the parable of the soils because at the heart of the parable, yes, there is an evangelistic application to this gospel, but the, the parable is actually talking about how we receive and how we hear that gospel message. And so I don't want you to be confused, um, but several theologians that I've studied during this actually call this the parable of the soils. And even Landon, um, our fearless leader, encouraged me to call this the parable of the soils. And so uh, I just wanted to get that out of the way right, right off the bat. And so let's dig in this morning. Uh, so last November, me and Lisa got a chance to travel to North and South Carolina with our church. I never knew where we were because those states are right next. I, I didn't know which one was which, but we were on a bus and we went around. And one of my favorite things that we got to do while we were there was we got to go to uh, the Billy Graham Museum and Library. Now, that is an amazing place. If you ever get to go, uh, go check it out. It basically just tells the story of Billy and Ruth and all throughout their, their life and to get the message of the gospel to the nations. It's an amazing place. And one of my favorite things in there was this sculpture. This is in the library uh, there at, at, the, at the museum. And it's, a, it's basically a picture of the parable of the sower. And you can see he's standing there. He's got his Bible open. There's seeds in his Bible. And you can see the parable play out on the ground below him. There's some on the path. There's some uh, on the rocks. There's some in the thorns. And then you can see a bountiful harvest. And so it was a really cool scripture, uh, sculpture. I, I really liked that. It really... Um, struck out to me. On there, there's a plaque. I know you can't see the plaque, but the end of that uh, inscription says this. It says, the likeness of the sower was sculpted not to represent Billy Graham specifically, but every faithful servant of the Lord Jesus who carries the seed of the gospel to community, to church, and to the world. And so this morning, as we begin talking about this parable, I just want to discuss a few things before we get in and read the parable. And the first thing I want us to see this morning, that we as Christians, we are called to proclaim the gospel message. Um, and today, as we dig into this parable, I do want us to understand that we as Christ followers, we have an evangelistic duty to, to proclaim the good news. We proclaim it here in Odessa, our state, into North America, and around the world. And so I want us to make sure that we understand that. Yes, the sower, he did go out to sow the seed, but I believe that the message that this parable is telling us is how do we hear this message of the gospel? How do we respond to it? And I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years or two days. We have to remind ourselves every day of the gospel message and what Jesus Christ has done for each of us. And so that brings us to, okay, we're supposed to respond to this message, but how can we hear this message? And that brings us to Romans 10, uh, some of my favorite scripture. Romans 10, 14 and 15. And it says, how then will they call in him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It is our duty to preach the good news. 
uh, as I studied, I came across uh, some stuff from Spurgeon. Spurgeon says it like this. He says, our duty is not measured by the character of our hearers, but by the command of our God. We are bound to preach the gospel, whether men will hear, whether they will forbear. It is ours to sow beside all waters. Let men's hearts be what they may. The minister must, must preach the gospel to them. He must sow on the rock, as well as in the furrow, on the highway, and as well as in the plowed field. So that is our duty. So this morning, as we begin to talk about this parable and what it means for us, just let us agree in this room that we as Christians, we as Christ followers, we are commanded to proclaim the gospel message. That is a direct application of this parable. The next thing I want us to look at this morning is that as Jesus, as we're going to read this morning in the, in, in the scripture before, we're going to see that many people follow Jesus as he went from town to town proclaiming this good news. And we can gather this information based on the other gospels. If you read the other gospels and read them synoptically, you can see these things, that Jesus had a huge following. And as we're going to read here in a little bit in verses 1 through 4, that we, we, we see that Jesus had many people who were interested in what he was doing, whether he was healing someone, the miracles, his teaching, there was something about him that was different. I think for the most part, people just wanted to see these miracles he was performing. But we also know that the, it says the disciples were with him, as well as some women um, who he had healed from different ailments and, and uh, had cast demons. And the scripture tells us in verse 3 that these women were providing for Jesus and the disciples out of their own means. And so they were, they were taking care of Jesus as he went about his earthly ministry. In verse 3 it says, who provided for them out of their means. And it's important for us to point this out this morning to know that, that the women that surrounded Jesus played an important role in his ministry. Scripture points that out, and so I think it's important that we point that out as well. And so along with, with, with Jesus and these others that were following, there were the Pharisees. And Jesus and the Pharisees had already had some confrontations. We've read about these confrontations. If you've grown up in church, we've studied these confrontations. But Jesus has had confrontations with these guys. And Jesus knew their thoughts, and he knew their plans, and he was going to handle them in a unique way. And we're going to see that this morning, how he's going to do that. The next thing I want us to see as we dig in is, is that the parable of the soils is, is a turning point in how Jesus publicly preached and taught. And as we're going to read in verses 9 and 10, we see Jesus' response to the question that the disciples asked. Jesus, what does this parable mean? And so before teaching this parable, Jesus had been teaching openly and publicly anytime he was preaching. He wasn't trying to obscure a message. He wasn't trying to hide a message. He was just openly declaring the good news of the kingdom of God. And in verse 10, we see Jesus' Jesus's response to the disciples. He says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. So that seeing, they may not see, and hearing, they may, under, may not understand. Now you hear that and you say, why would Jesus do that? Why is Jesus trying to keep a message from someone? Well, this is, this is a reference back to Old, Old Testament scriptures, Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. The Lord has just commissioned Isaiah. Isaiah has volunteered, Lord, send me, I'll go. And as the Lord sends him out, he tells Isaiah, yes, you're going to go, but they're not going to listen to you. Uh, the people that you're going to go to are going to have ears that will hear but not understand and eyes who will see but they won't understand. And so this takes us all the way back um, to the prophet Isaiah. Now that we find Jesus had been healing and performing miracles all throughout this region. Um, as I said a while ago, Jesus has had several encounters with the Pharisees. And scattered throughout the Gospels, we're going to see how Jesus and the Pharisees 
kind of went head to head. And the Pharisees were always trying to catch Jesus and the disciples in breaking the Sabbath. And up until this point, Jesus has been a little, bit, a little patient with them. But, but that's about to change. In Matthew 12, we see an encounter with Jesus uh, and the Pharisees. Jesus also has an encounter with a blind and mute and demon-possessed man. And so what does Jesus do? He heals this man. Simply by speaking, he heals this man. And this enraged the Pharisees. It made them mad because they understood. They started to see what these people, how the people were reacting to Jesus. Like, hey, this guy's different. How is he doing these things? Like, I, under, I want to understand the message. He's performing all these miracles. Well, in the book of Mark, we see that one of the Pharisees actually accuses Jesus of being demon-possessed. And the way that he was casting out these demons is Jesus himself was, was, was possessed by a demon. This was not a good move on the Pharisees' part. One of the Pharisees actually pipes up and says, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. And so you can imagine uh, how Jesus felt about that, right? Here, here are these Pharisees who were trying to openly reject and oppose what Jesus was trying to do. And he's saying, the only reason you can do this is because of the demon inside of you. Why would, this, why would the Pharisees try to give Satan credit for something that the Holy Spirit had done? And they were also trying to keep others from believe as well. And so from, from this point on, Jesus, Jesus is only going to teach publicly in parables. MacArthur, John MacArthur puts it this way. He says, by, deli- by deliberately rejecting the truth, the sworn enemies of Christ had lost the privilege of hearing any more pl- pl- plain truth from his lips. These guys had openly tried to stop Jesus and, and, and the other people that were with him. And, and so Jesus was, just, was not going to put up with it anymore from them. And so just real quick, what is a parable? A parable is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? It's something that Jesus would use that would be familiar to the people in his region. Uh, this morning, it's going to be about agriculture, right? Um, that's not something we know a lot about around here. We don't, we don't have a lot of planning and stuff. But this is something that the people in Jesus' time, where he's teaching on the Sea of Galilee, that these people would be familiar with. And so I also want to remember that parables were, had two purposes. They were meant to reveal the truth to some and conceal the truth to others. Okay, So it was a dual purpose. Conceal the truth and reveal the truth. And so here's one last point I want to make before we dig in and read the scripture this morning. Take care. Take care how you listen to the gospel message. Now, when I hear that, when I hear Jesus say that, these are the words of Jesus in Luke 8.18. You should immediately think that, hey, this, what Jesus is saying, is gonna, it has consequences for all of us. Take care how you, how you hear this gospel message. It's got consequences for us. And so today, as we read this parable, we're going to see that really only the, only the disciples were the only ones who were really interested in what the parable meant. The rest were there maybe just to see a miracle, to see who Jesus was. They heard the parable, and they split. But the disciples, they stick around, and they wanted to know what the, what the parable meant, that they wanted to go deeper. And so this morning, as we read our parable, and as we dig into God's word, let us be eager to understand and hear what God has to say to us this morning. Like I said earlier, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian all your life, if you're a new Christian, if you're not a Christian, this parable has application to all of us. And so let's read God's word. That brings us to the big idea this morning. Come straight for the text. I didn't make this up. Jesus did. And so it says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That, that, that's what we want to do this morning. We want to have ears to hear what Jesus has to say to us this morning. And so let's read the text. We're in Luke 8, 
1 through 15 says this. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom the seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great, when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town to town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil. And it grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when the disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not, may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. And as for what, for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as, as soon as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, they hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. That's the word of God. Let's pray. God, this morning, um, we, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. God, we trust your word. We believe your word. And God, this morning, I pray that this word uh, would, would, would just penetrate into our hearts, God, that we would have fertile soil where we would receive this word this morning. God, this morning, if there is someone in this room who does, who does not know you uh, as their personal Lord and Savior, God, I pray that today is the day. And so as we dig in this morning, God, I pray that we would have ears to hear what you have to say this morning. We thank you for these things. Amen. All right, so as we dig into this parable, I want to remind ourselves that Jesus is speaking on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Now, he had been all throughout this region. He had been teaching, performing miracles, healing, casting out demons. And so he's got a bunch of people following him. And as he's going about, he's on the Sea of Galilee. He's on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. Now, for me, I'm not a farmer. Never been a farmer. I can barely grow grass, okay? And so the closest thing in my experiences in, are, of being a farmer are in Kenya. The, the villages in Kenya where we work and serve they are agricultural communities. They grow everything from maize and beans and corn and sugar cane, all kinds of things. And so farming is how they support their families. These plots in Kenya are similar to what would have been along the Sea of Galilee. They're just long, rectangular plots. And so as they cast the seed, um, they would do it by hand. They would have bags of seed, and they would cast the seed by hand. Now, as I studied, I learned that just like in Kenya, a lot of times they don't cultivate the ground before they, they sow the seed. A lot of times they, sow the, they throw the seed and then they plow the ground and the, and, the, and the seed gets into the soil. And that's how they would do that. And so the seed would go everywhere. It would go where you want it to go. It would go on the path. It would go in the rocks. It would go all different kinds of places. 
And so this morning, I just want us, want us to understand that this parable that Jesus is talking about is something that would resonate with the people he was talking to. And so they understood farming. We don't understand farming here that much, but they, actually, they, they definitely understood what he was talking about. And so they, the sower went out to sow a seed. Now, before we go any further, I just want us to agree one more time this morning that we, as Christ followers, we have a duty to cast that gospel seed. We have, we have an evangelistic duty as Christ followers to take that seed of the gospel wherever we are, in our workplaces, in our cities, uh, and around the world. It's not a suggestion for us. It is a command by God. And I think we, this morning we can just agree with that amongst ourselves. And so this morning, just real briefly, I want to remind you of that gospel message. You hear it every week you are in this room. Every time Landon teach, preaches a sermon, teaches a Sunday school class, and we teach in Sunday school, the gospel message should be at the center of what we are doing. Whether it's in this room, whether it's in your Sunday school class, whether it's in Kenya, wherever it is. And we always talk about these four main things, that God is holy, man is sinful, Jesus is the answer, and we need to repent and believe. And so this morning, if you have never heard this before, I just want to run through it real briefly with you. And the first thing we always want to do is we want to start with God, because God is the creator, right? God is holy. He is perfect. He is sinless. He is our creator, and we are the created. He is above us. We are not like him, but we humans are his most cherished possession. We, we were made in his image. We are his image bearer. We were made to worship him and give him worship and glory continually. That's just who, who, uh, who God is, okay? He is, he is holy and set apart. Isaiah 6 shows us this in a really cool picture. Isaiah has a vision of the Lord on the throne. He's got seraphim above him, and these seraphim are, are flying above him, and they are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So God is holy. He's set apart. We're not like him. We are his image bearers, though. Second, we have to understand our position uh, in the whole story. We know that we, as humans, are sinful people. We are sinners. Um, and at the beginning, we were, we were in a right relationship with God. We were good. Adam and Eve were with God, uh, and it was a good relationship. But in the garden, we know in Genesis 3 that sin entered into the world. And from that moment on, we were separated. God says, I can't look on that sin anymore. Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. They, could no, they, were, they were no longer allowed in the garden. It wasn't so much about the garden is that they were cast out of the presence of the Lord. They were, eternally, they were, they were separated from him. And there was this big chasm uh, between them. Romans 3 says that no one, no, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God's, all turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Romans 3 also tells us that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that sin, we deserve death. That's what, that's what we earn because of, because of our death is sin. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of that sin is death. We earned death due to our sin and separation from God. Without Jesus, we are all destined for hell and eternal separation from God. Sounds pretty hopeless, right? God is over here, we are over here, and there's a great divide between us. There is nothing that we can do about that on our own. It is solely up to Jesus, and Jesus is the answer for, for that. God had a plan to restore us. God had a plan. It started all the way back in Genesis with Abraham. He's going to create a people for himself, and out of, those, out of that people would come Jesus. Um, Romans 6.23 says this, The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is the answer to our sin problem. Uh, we, we all know this verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him 
should not perish but have eternal life. God did this by sending his son to this earth. He sent his only son to this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless, spotless life. There had to be an atonement for our sins. I couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. Only God could do that. And he did that through Jesus. He died the perfect death that we could not die. Now, he did this at the cross. He bore all the weight and sin and shame of all of the sins, of my sins, your sins, your, your ancestors' sins, your grandkids and their grandkids' sins. He did this for all that who would believe. Our debt was paid in full. He was in the tomb for three days, and then he rose. Jesus is our hope, our risen Savior. If he was still in that tomb like the rest of the so-called gods, we would be in trouble, but he's not. He rose. He is alive. The Bible says that God raised him from the dead. Our hope is in a risen Savior. And that brings us to this. If you, if you understand that God is holy, you understand that we are sinful, and you understand that Jesus is the bridge for that, and you want to receive that, there's, there's a couple things that we need to do. We need to repent, and we need to believe in that message. Romans 10 says this. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believe, believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is a word we use in church all the time, repent. Repent means if you're going this way, you want to turn around and go the other way. It's a continual process. It's not something that happens just immediately. It is a continual process. It's, a, it's a something that we do. It's sanctification. And so this is the message that we are to carry to the ends of the earth. This is the message that this parable is talking about. Okay? And so as you, as you think about that, you go back to verse 1 that we read a while ago. God, Jesus was out proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. This is the gospel message that Jesus was proclaiming. And so this morning, as we walk through this parable, we're gonna do that by asking three questions. And the first question that we're gonna ask is, what is the parable? And we're gonna run through this pretty quick. We're gonna focus on verses five through eight as we, as we talk about this. The first thing we see that the sower went out to sow a seed. Now, again, as we talk about this illustration, this is something that Jesus is doing is using, and he's saying that the sower went out and he scattered the seed. He, he sowed the seed. The sower was faithful to do the work of planting the seed. The sower would work really hard to make sure all of the ground had seed on it. That way it could be planted. And as he threw the seed, some fell out of the cultivated field. Regardless of where it fell, the sower here is faithful to sow the seed. And that is a lesson for us. We have to be faithful to sow the seed that God has given us, that Jesus has given us. And as he sowed the seed, the seed fell on four types of soil. Verse 6, we see that some of the seed fell along the path where it was trampled and the birds ate it. Think about that for a minute. This would have been a path that's been hard and compacted. So if you've ever been to Kenya with us, you walk through crops, you, you walk through plantation uh, where they're growing uh, sugar cane and because people walk through there, you got sugar cane, there might be a path through there, and that path is hard, it's compacted. Me, I work in the oil and gas. I drive on a lot of two-track roads in the oil field. Those things are hard and compacted. You can hardly dig in them if you wanted to. That's what this is talking about. The path is very, very hard. When the seed hit the path, the, the seed could not get into the soil. The birds would just come and eat it. People would walk on it. People would drive on it. And the birds would eat it. The seed didn't stand a chance of bearing the fruit that it was intended for. In verse 6, we also see that some of the seed fell on the rocks where it withered away due to a lack of roots. Now, this verse tells us that as the seed grew up, it withered away due to no, due to no moisture. Now, the good thing is here is that the seed did grow up. It did show a little promise, but it did wither away. 
And so we have to put our farming hats back on for a minute. Uh, as I said, I'm not a farmer, but I have worked on plenty of pipelines throughout this region. And we've put a lot of pipeline in the ground, and I've seen a lot of different soil types. Now, as this, this rock that we're talking about, it's not just, you know, some random rocks. This is where you look at a field and say, hey, man, this is good dirt. This is, we could plant on this. But the rock that this is talking about here is bedrock. Like you dig down about six inches and it's nothing but bedrock. This is the kind of rock that Jesus is talking about. And so the seed would fall into the soil. It would, it would sprout really quick, but it wouldn't have any roots. And so when uh, there was a time without rain or whatever, it would just shrivel up and die. It's bedrock. The seed could not penetrate that rock, could not take root. The seed would produce really quickly, show promise, but it would soon die due to the lack of roots. Now, the third place that the seed fell was among the thorns, where the thorns choked it out. Verse 7 says, some seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out. Now, this is something we can, we can relate to, right? We're all good about growing weeds. We can do that really easy here. Uh, as I was studying for this, I came across a sermon by Alistair Begg. Uh, he's a really good preacher. And he said, that's actually part of Genesis 3 and the fall of man. You, you, don't, have to, you don't have to try to grow weeds and, and stuff like that and thorns. They just do it on their own. They're really good about choking out the stuff that you're trying to grow, right? And that, that we just have to work hard. We have to work hard at the ground and work hard to try to get things to grow. It'll overtake anything that you're trying to grow. And so it simply overtook the good seed. And so again, as a sower sowed his seed, this might look promising, but slowly the, the seeds from the weeds of the thorns, they're looking to destroy the good seed that was planted. Now the fourth and final place where this seed would fall is on the good soil, where it produced a hundredfold. Verse 8 says that some of the seed fell into the good soil where it grew, where it grew and yielded a hundredfold. Now that's the desire of any good farmer, right? The seed that you plant, you want it to grow up and produce a fruit the, the, the uh, seed of which it was intended for. This is soil where the, where the seed can get into the ground, it can get moisture, it can grow, it can, it can slowly form roots, uh, and this is good. It's free of bedrock, it's free of birds who are gonna try to come and take the seed, and so this is the goal of any farmer. Uh, in this parable, we see that the seed planted in the good soil, it produced an abundant crop. It was a good crop. Now, after Jesus um, tells this parable, Again, he proclaims, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, right? This is a proclaim from Jesus. He's trying to get the people's attention. I, you can imagine that Jesus is teaching in a boat. He's, he's in the boat. He's in the Sea of Galilee. And as he's teaching, he's teaching back to the land where these people are all sitting. And so Jesus might stand up and he might say in the boat, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's trying to get their attention. He understands that the way that these people hear this have, a, have consequences, and as we discussed earlier, the disciples were the only ones who really wanted to go deeper and dig into what the parable actually meant. The other folks were simply listening. They walked away. Maybe they thought about what Jesus said, but they didn't stop and take the time to see what the parable actually meant. So that's the parable. That's what the parable uh, means as far as um, the, what Jesus was talking about. And so now we're going to ask the same question that the disciples asked. What is the parable? What does the parable mean? And so in verses 11, 15, it gives us the answers to those. And so the sower is Jesus or an evangelist. Now, something to pay attention to here, too, is the sower um, is not, in this parable, 
identified as Jesus. But after some study and looking at other parables and reading some other things, I think it's safe to say that Jesus was the sower. But that's not the point. The point of, for us is not to argue over, is Jesus the sower, whatever. That is not the point of this parable. The point of this parable is how we, as how we receive the gospel message. In this instant, you or I would be the sower. If you are a Christ follower, you or I are the sower in this parable. This is a command of any follower of Jesus. In verse 11, we see that the seed is the word of God, specifically speaking the gospel message. Again, remember back in verse 1, Jesus was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what he was talking about it. And let us think a minute about this seed. This seed was perfect. It's unchanging. The gospel message is perfect and unchanging. We can't change it. There's nothing that we can add to or take away from it. When we do that, it is no longer the gospel. Galatians 1 tells us that. There is no other gospel, right? You can't take that gospel seed and say, yeah, you do this. Oh, and by the way, let's just go ahead and start doing this. Because when you do that, it's no longer the gospel. And so the seed in the parable is perfect. It is unchanging. We can't change it without distorting what it is. And so we want to see now that the changing variable and this parable is the soil conditions, not the seed, not the sower. And that brings us to the next point. The soil is the heart of mankind. Again, this is the changing variable in the parable. When the seed of the gospel is proclaimed to mankind, it's going to fall on the hearts of mankind. And in the parable, the, seeds, the seed finds one of four heart conditions. I truly believe exactly what the Bible says. Every one of us in this room has one of these four heart conditions, one of these full four soil conditions. And so as the word of God is proclaimed, it will find four heart conditions. My question for you this morning is, which one do you have? Which soil condition, which heart condition do you have? And we're going to talk about those. Okay, so we have read the parable. We've discussed what the parable is. We've discussed what the parable means. Now let's see how this parable is going to apply to you and me today. Remember uh, in, in verse 8, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Look down at 8.18. Jesus tells us again, take care how you hear. Guys, this message has consequences for us. So this morning as you're sitting here, take care how you hear this. The way you hear and respond to the word of God has, has consequences for us. So let me, let me say this before, before we move on to applying to this parable. As long as there are breath in your lungs, you can come to know Jesus in a new and personal way. It does not matter where you are in, your, in this room today. It doesn't matter what kind of heart condition you have to, today. Um, Ephesians 2 explains our situation perfectly. Ephesians 2 says that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. We are enslaved to our flesh and we are destined to hell, okay? But in verse four is the greatest words in all the Bible, but God, right? God had a plan. He had a plan for us. And he says this, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. The scripture goes on to say that this is solely based on grace through faith alone. It is nothing that you or I can do. This is solely based on great grace through faith in Christ alone. So whatever heart condition you find yourself in today, as you examine yourself this morning on what the scripture says about your heart condition, it doesn't matter where you find yourself today. There is hope for you today. And that hope is in Jesus. That hope is in Jesus Christ. And so that brings us to the last question that we want to answer. How, were you, how will you hear this parable? 
I believe that the best way for us to answer this question is to look at the four heart conditions compared to the, first, the, the soil types and see where you might find yourself today. And so the first heart condition that we find is a hard heart like the path. And I truly believe that when you have a group of folks in a room this big, that there might be someone in here with a hard heart like the Bible talks about. Verse 12 tells us that those who have a hard heart um, are just like the seed that fell along the path. As soon as you hear the gospel message, the devil comes and snags it from you. You have become so indifferent to the word of God that the devil does not even allow you to hear it or see it. The devil just snags it away. It's just like a bird of the air coming to take, take it from you. That's a scary place to be. But there are people in this world who are like that. There are so many people. You have become so indifferent to the word of God. We've been studying in Sunday school the, New, the Old Testament. We're finding the New Testament. Um, but Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 19.15 says of God, they have stiffened their necks, refusing to hear my words. And so keep in mind that you can attend church every Sunday and find yourself in this situation. You think about the Pharisees. These were the Jews of the Jews, right? They knew everything, but yet they could not see the Messiah who was standing right in front of them. And so we have to examine our hearts to see what kind of heart condition we have. And so a person with this heart condition, we know uh, that scripture says they're without Jesus and destined to hell, but there is hope for them. The The next heart condition we find is a spontaneous heart like on the rocks. To me, this is the most worrisome of all. As I was thinking about this heart condition, I thought of it like my shoe situation. If you know me, I like shoes. I have a lot of shoes. I'm kind of ashamed of how many shoes I have, but I like shoes. And when I go shoe shopping, I actually did this yesterday with Lisa. I go, I grab, I see some shoes, I'm like, ooh, those, I like those shoes. And I buy them, and I take them home, and I wear them. And then I see some other shoes, and I buy them. And the shoes I just bought, I put them on the shelf, and I forget all about them. They collect dust. And then your son comes to your house, and he steals them and takes them home. That's what happens. This is what Jesus is telling us about. And you see in verse 13, it says, they receive it. They receive the gospel with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a little while. In a time of testing, they fall away. When the person hears this gospel, they might be excited about it. They might go go buy a new Bible, start reading their Bible, come to church, do all these things. But in a time of testing, they fall away. It's purely superficial. The person has no roots. They are just going through the motions. And when hard times come, they simply fall away. It's a scary place to be. R.C. Sproul Sproul has a lot of good information. R.C. Sproul is one of my favorite guys to read and study. Um, He said that we in the church have done, and unknowingly we've done a bad job of leading people in a profession of faith. We do it at camps, we do it at mission trips, we do all these things. But but Sproul points out that these professions of faith never mature into a possession of faith. Our professions of faith never mature into a possession of faith. And that's a scary place to be. Many times we are saved to the things we are involved in. Now I know there's some students in the room. Students, listen up to this. Um, We saw this so much when me and Lisa were in student ministry with Corey and Crystal. Students, make sure that as you're in student ministry, that you are investing in your relationship with the Lord, not just the student ministry that you're involved in. Because one day, student ministry is over. And if your relationship is with the student ministry and not the Lord, you're going to walk away and you're going to forget about Jesus. And this can go with anything that we're involved in, whether it's Bible studies, whether it's whatever. Make sure that your relationship is with Jesus, not the thing that you're involved in. That is so easy to get 
uh, involved in. They, they believe for a little while and a time of testing fall away. But again, there is hope for the person uh, in this condition. Colossians 1, 22 and 23 says, Jesus will present you holy and blameless if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that, that you heard. This should, be our pr- this should be our prayer for folks with this kind of heart condition. Now let me address this real quick. Um, as I studied, almost every commentary that you read, when you talk about this type of heart condition, it, it addresses false conversions. We see false conversions a lot on the mission field. Again, it's not for me or you to judge who was converted. We are, we are, we are told that we are to plant the seeds, water the, speed, water the seeds, and the Spirit does the regenerating, right? But we go, say, say we go to Kenya and we go, we go share the gospel of school and 600 kids in the school raise their hands to receive the Lord. We don't participate in that, but we see that. And those kids don't truly understand, I think, what they've done. And so some of those kids may walk away with a false sense of salvation. Um, but I want you to know that today that what we teach and preach in this church is once saved, always saved. If you are truly a disciple of Christ, if you are mature and you are showing fruit of a believer, you cannot lose your salvation. Here's a scripture. Uh, John 10, 27, 28, Jesus says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. And for those that leave the church, 1 John 2, 19 says this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So I want to make sure you understand Wherever you find yourself today, if you are a, a true Christ follower, if you are mature uh, in your fruit, and this, something, this is something that takes, it's a sanctification process. It's not something that happens immediately. It's something that goes over, and it just takes time to do. But we believe in once saved, always saved for the true, for the true regenerate heart. Okay, so the next, the next heart condition is the distracted heart like the thorns. Verse 14 says, for what, for what fell among the thorns, they are those that hear, but as, as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life, and their fruit does not mature. This heart condition is a tough one, because that's an easy one for us to fall into in, in, our, in the world we live in. There's always stuff coming at us. Money, power, just wealth, just all kinds of stuff is just shot our way all the time. The distracted heart is more concerned with, with the money and the things and living the good life. Church sometimes get in, gets in the way of that good life is what people tell me. I don't know that, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I love being a Christian. I love being in the church. I mean, you were my people, right? Uh, I, I love being involved in the things of the Lord. Um, Luke, 13, or Luke 16 says it like this. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so the weeds and the thorns in this parable represent all those things that are thrown at us from the world. They simply come at us and they choke out the good seed. They choke out the gospel seed. And so we have to be on guard for that. Even, uh, even those of us who have been Christians forever, we have to be on guard of the, of the, of the weeds and the thorns that, are, that the world throws at us. We have to be on guard for that. Now, I, I want to say too, those things, money, stuff like that, it's not a bad thing if we handle those in the right way. They are good and gracious gifts from the Lord. So we have to, we have to um, uh, be sure that we, we, we check our heart condition on that. So when this seed is planted in the soil, it produces no fruit, has no value, the fruit never grows to maturity. 
And so of these three heart conditions, these, soul, these heart conditions that we talked about, there is hope. We must continue to pray. We must continue to work cultivating the hearts of our friends and our family and those who need to hear it. We pray for them. We share the gospel with them. We show them Christ-like love and compassion. We never give up on people with, with these heart conditions. And so this brings us to the last heart condition this morning, a fertile heart like the good soil. Verse 15 says, for, the, for those in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is a heart that understands what Jesus has done for you. This is a person who has prepared his heart to receive the gospel. But the problem is, is we can't do that on our own. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can regenerate hearts. You or I can't do that. The Holy Spirit that indwells within us does that. You display the fruit of the Spirit as mentioned in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You have made a profession of faith solely based on grace alone through faith alone. And it's nothing that you can do of yourself. You understand this. You possess a deep desire to know Jesus more and study his word. You have a desire to meet with his people on a regular basis. You are rooted in scripture and you are rooted in the likeness of Christ. And this person will persevere to the end. John 8, 31 says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. The expectation for a true disciple of Christ is that you will bear much fruit. And you, and you saw there, it says with patience. It takes time, it's not something that's gonna happen overnight. You gotta be patient but you gotta be a diligent in the way that you make sure your heart is always cultivated. Now let's wrap this up. Um, after Jesus said all these things in this parable, again, Jesus got the people's attention. He probably stood up and he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Did they truly wanna hear the gospel message? My question is for you today. Do you truly want to understand the gospel message? If you've never heard that gospel message, do you truly want to understand it? Do you truly want to go deeper as you listen to that gospel message? Will you be like one of the disciples who they, they heard a cool story? They heard a message. They didn't want to go deeper. They simply walked away and went back on about their business. Maybe today you just simply need to do some cultivating in your heart. Maybe you are a good Christ follower. You are producing fruit. But maybe we need to look at ourselves, do some, do some looking at our hearts and say, maybe there's some things that I need to get rid of this morning. Maybe I just need to, uh, to change some things. Um, my prayer for you today is that you would do some self-examination as you do that. But my prayer for all of us today, whether you are a heart condition like on the path, on the rocks, in the weeds, or in the good soil, my prayer is that, of, that's the, that the Spirit of God would give you a heart transplant. We see in Ezekiel 30, 36, that God was gathering, he's gathering a people for himself. And out of those people would come Jesus. But in verse 36, he says this. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That is my prayer for you today. That if you don't know Jesus, that he would give you a heart transplant that he would take that heart of stone out of your chest and give you a heart of flesh. I can't do that. Corey can't do that. Landon can't do that. Only the Spirit of God can do that for you. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray.